If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And I have two guests today, very special guests who are going to educate us on everything to do with the endocannabinoid system and how to have a successful business, I think, hopefully, at least that's what I want to get out of it too. Uh, so uh, we have Dr. Leslie Apgar and Gina Dubay, co-founders of Greenhouse Wellness. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining us on the show today. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. We're so happy to be here. And I appreciate your flexibility. I know it was like we're going back and forth, different dates, different times. So it's been it's been hectic. So I appreciate it. Um, should I be congratulating you guys? Are you in Maryland? Are you the 20th yes. state? Yes. All right. So before we get into anything, I was just curious, what are your thoughts? And I have it as a question anyway, I was going to ask, but now like it seems the right uh, time to ask. What is your, what are your thoughts on this whole thing of recreational versus medicinal First of all, from a business standpoint, I'm sure there's going to open up a lot of more opportunities in Maryland, but also from you know understanding and, and doing some research on your approach to phytocannabinoid therapeutics, uh, how do you think that's going to affect your business in general? Well, we launched in the medical space, and we really advocate and believe that there's a medical basis for cannabis. And so I believe that's our special sauce in dealing with our patient base. We think that recreational from a business point of view will probably triple our business, but those users don't come in for cancer, Parkinson's, GI distress, 
all the things that we treat. We've gotten people off of opioids. We think that the recreational market will be quite different and give us a, a shot at a different set of customers. Yeah. And the thing that we learned really early on, Len, was that our, quote, recreational users were really treating something, whether they were cognizant of it or not. And sometimes it took a little bit of digging and asking questions about what are you treating and, you know, what would you typically look for in a cannabis product? And sometimes we really had to pester people to get to the root of it. We found that a lot of times it was PTSD or depression or anxiety, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, things like that. And sometimes people aren't really necessarily... 100% aware of why they're choosing cannabis. But I really firmly believe that there's a medical basis to most every cannabis user. Mm. So that was really unexpected when we started. We were not expecting to find that. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's the word recreational that bothers me most of all. Uh, I believe it's adult use if you're 21 and over. To me, cannabis is a medicine, but it's also a drug. And it's a therapeutic. And you're absolutely right. If I'm using it to relax, let's just say, or I had a stressful day, there is still a therapeutic quality and properties of the plant. However, you're consuming it doesn't sound like recreation to me. It just, I think it's nomenclature that really, and yeah. I, I do agree with you on uh, the business. And it provides a great business opportunity from a consultative standpoint because you can have a lot larger cohort of people coming in that you can have these conversations about, you know, I'm not sleeping well. Well, what's going on? Well, I have anxiety during the day. Well, maybe that's triggering something that's preventing you from getting good quality sleep. And by the way, that's creating extra cortisol in your bloodstream. It's creating some pain inflammation. Now you're addressing different things and I don't see any recreation in that whatsoever. Exactly. Uh, no, that's uh, yeah, and and that's what makes our approach so different is that we're not just handing people a joint. We're asking questions that go along with that, trying to get to the root of the matter, and really trying to heal people from the inside out. It's not using cannabis as a big pharma medication just to squelch the symptom. We're really trying to promote wellness and healing from within. So it's a totally different approach, but this doesn't work unless there's education. Yeah, agreed. All right, so let me let me back up. I jumped the gun because I was so excited for you guys. Like 20 of state, even though we had some some losses, we've got some wins, but it's okay. We're we're getting there. So let me start with, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this one at a time. We usually have one guest, so uh, we'll try to see what we can do with uh, with two. But I'd like to understand a little bit about both of you uh, backgrounds. Uh, so the first question is. Where did I'll, I'll ask uh, Leslie first? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little island outside of Seattle, Washington. So I grew up in a very open-minded culture, um, very permissive culture, very outdoorsy, and I learned how to approach medicine from a holistic point of view. So I've carried a part of that with me into the practice of medicine, even though I'm on the East Coast now. And I think my patients have really appreciated the fact that I was exposed to all of that at a, at a young, early age. But I, I had an idyllic childhood, I'm not going to lie. I mean, snow skied, I had horses, I was on the water. I mean, it was a really nice childhood. I'm, I'm very lucky. I don't know if that kind of childhood exists anymore, but I'm incredibly grateful for it. Do you have siblings? I have a younger sister. She's in San Francisco. Got it. And, uh, um, 
And, and Gina, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in West Virginia, which you can probably hear from time to time in my tone, <laughs> because my Siri never understands what yes. I say. Um, I had the opposite childhood. I lived with a hardworking family, bricklayer father. I have one brother that's younger. He's a, an attorney on Wall Street. And so Leslie and I met because we were backdoor neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of our well, friendship. She she's not entirely truthful. So I moved into her neighborhood, <laughs> right? I moved into her neighborhood and she brings me a freshly baked pie, which I thought That's was what we do in West Virginia. Well, okay. I mean, I thought she was like an alien species because how how she's so successful, she's so busy, she has her own kids and a husband. And yet she has time to go to the store, buy the ingredients for, and then bake me a pie, which she brings over across the backyard, knocks on my back door and welcome neighbor. Here's a pie. I mean, I I don't even know that I had words that came out of my mouth. (laughs) So um, yes, I've always held her in the highest of regard. We have absolutely nothing in common. We have the most disparate backgrounds you could imagine. So of course we became best friends. Absolutely. I love that story, and that doesn't happen. I, so I'm from Philly. Well, actually, I was born in Lithuania, but I, I lived in Philly all my life, and I, I live in L.A., and I every single time I move in a new neighborhood, neighbors barely even say hello. They're just like, right. we live, I live in a house. I kind of know my neighbors from both sides because they email when they there's an HOA thing, so we, we know each other, and we kind of nod and say hello. But that kind of hospitality, I think that only exists like in the South. These days, uh, or in know. West Virginia, apparently. In West Virginia, all right. It's it's God West Virginia. Virginia is sort of on the cusp there. It's like it's close <laughs> yeah. to the, the South, but it's still a little bit in, in the yeah. middle. All right. So you have that old, old school values. Let let's just say that right. we need to do uh, more of those. Um, so Leslie, you then went to Penn State, was it? Gosh, I'm pretty impressed. I went to um, Washington State for undergrad. Okay. Because that was as far as as I could get away from uh, my family and still pay in-state tuition. Because back in the day, um, Washington really subsidized schools. And so it was a trivial matter to go to an in-state school. And I thought I wanted to be a large animal vet. And they had a really good vet school at Washington State. So I went there and I quickly realized that I like animals way more than people. And uh, I got worried about going into vet school. I thought that it would be too competitive. I thought I wouldn't make enough money to pay back my loans. And uh, I was really worried about the people that I was in the zoology classes where they weren't like fun and they didn't have like these, they didn't ever want to go out and do anything. They were always in the library studying. So I I got a little worried. So I switched to pre-med and then I went to Penn State on the whole other side of the country And I picked Penn State. It was the first school I got into, but they also have a humanities program. They were the very first school in the entire country to incorporate humanities into their medical school curriculum. And I often tell people, what is medicine if not the study of people and and humanities and how to be a human during really trying times in in a patient's life? I thought that was really important. And I was incredibly lucky to get educated there. I look back on it and I know that the Hershey Trust um, the Foundation has donated a lot of money to the school over the years. And looking back on it, I was, I'm just incredibly grateful for the education that I received there. I liked it so much. I stayed for another four years <laughs> in Hershey, Pennsylvania. 
to uh, finish my residency in OBGYN. And then at that point, then I moved to Baltimore and joined an all-female OBGYN practice. Yeah, Penn State, uh, or Hershey, Pennsylvania is an interesting place too. It's like Hershey, everything. We, we used to go there. I have a certificate with my daughter. We went to get the certificate for, as a chocolatier. So we got yes. to make chocolate and learn that white chocolate is not really chocolate. So I remember that exactly. still. Which is why I don't like it. I don't like it either. It's just sugar and milk. It's We're not purist. chocolate. It's exactly. not chocolate. No, it's got to be dark chocolate, right? Thank you. Right? Yes, it's exactly. good for us. Anti-inflammatory. I love the justification to eat yes. chocolate that it's good for oh, us. Yes. But I'm okay with that. Yes, I in moderation, that. right? In moderation. Yeah. Everything is in moderation. Uh, so, uh, Gino, and, and you, uh, I, I'm curious uh, about, um, if I remember correctly, I think Therapearl, is that, is that correct? Was that the name of the company? So I'm curious about this. How do you launch a company and like, and make it successful to then have an exit because having a startup in, in something that's, you know, therapeutic related, medical related, and has a therapeutic properties on it, you know, you have to have so much money behind you do, then you have to do like infomercials and uh, three o'clock in the morning say, Hey, you know, use this. How do you do that? What's, what's the, what's the secret? You know, it was interesting. I had, exited my last job. I ran a venture fund for 15 years and I went to get a vein closed on my face. And the lady said to me, oh, here's a bag of frozen peas. And I'm like, okay, for what I've spent for this procedure, frozen peas, really? So it was interesting. Um, She and I decided to start a business together and we both chucked in $5,000. And our goal was to buy a Chanel handbag with our proceeds. (laughs) That was it. It was a small goal. And I started selling at my kitchen table. And when orders would come in, my kids would pack the boxes and they'd go out. We ended up selling 5 million of those packs. And it was organic, right? First, it was kitchen tables. Then it was local places. Then it was Walmart and Walgreens. And Mm. it just kept going. We ended up having four warehouses here in the US, one in Europe. We ended up selling the business to BioFreeze Mm. in 2014. So, but like, I know you skipped over a lot of stuff and you're sort of underselling it, but it, it's not that easy. Like you start at the table and you're talking to your friends and neighbors about this, but then how do you, how do you grow from there? I know it organically, but do you have to have uh, like, is it SEO? Is it, is it paid ads? Is it commercial? It's like, w- what do you do? Because I know people have contacted us. You know, we, we have a, we have a, a series B startup now that, that I'm the CEO of, but so, and I've been, I've been an entrepreneur all my life too. It's, it's an extremely difficult thing depending on what the reason you're doing it for too, because, you know, you having a goal of a handbag Maybe you're actually, there's a purpose of why you're doing this and the financial goals are secondary, which I think is the key and secret to to everything. But still, you got to, there's a lot of work that it takes to grow this. So what are, what are some of those steps? We hired nothing but kids under 30. Kids that hadn't been told that they couldn't do anything. They went in there thinking they could do it all. And I have to tell you, that was the key to our success. Because they wanted to learn. They wanted to do anything they could. We had one selling, one doing logistics, one doing science. We ended up being Inc. 5000 twice. Um, 
it, it just was a really good experience and success breeds on success. And a lot of people tell you that Walmart is the worst customer. They were our best customer because we had a kid that every night at midnight, we downloaded their sales data. We knew where we were stocked out. We wrote our own purchase orders, sent them to Walmart that then turned them around because we made their life easier. Mm-hmm. And ice packs are universal. Everybody can use them, men, women, children. So they worked in all different settings. And we learned. I learned just as much as anyone. I had never been in retail before. I didn't know there were slotting fees. We made our share of mistakes, but we took a nascent category and we were bringing in packs at like 39 cents from China, selling them for $10. You had room to make a lot of mistakes that way. Yeah. But I also have to just weigh in here. Gina is the hardest working person I've ever met in my life. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to start a little business. It'll be great. I'll be printing money. But let me tell you that Gina wakes up at six o'clock, gets down, she would go down to her her kitchen, sit at the at the table, and she would work with her head down until late at night every single day. Um, she's always, always working. She has an incredible work ethic. So I'll, I give a lot of the success, I'd say 90% of the success to Gina's personality and her dogged resolve to move the needle forward, if only by 1% a day, because at the end of a year, you've really moved forward quite a bit. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for saying that. I apologize, Gina, was uh, stepping in what you were uh, going to say, but you know, I had this conversation with my daughter about hard work. And you, first of all, I guess if you enjoy what you're doing, you're just doing it anyway. So it is hard work, but, but I can't think of if I'm not busy, like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'll go hike and whatever it up, but I'm working. And my daughter has this, uh, she's going to be 18 in January. So we're going to college and this new uh, generation is about shortcuts, right? So you have these influencers online, TikTok, whatever. She goes, there's got to be easier. You're always working, dad. You're always working. And I'm like, uh, there's got to be easier ways. I see all these people, they're making millions of dollars by because they did a TikTok and now they're an influencer. And my thing was like, maybe I don't know of one. I am just not aware of any other way to succeed except for hard work. That's the only way. So I'm going to work harder than you. And that's it. If there is a shortcut, great. Let me know what it is because I'll be happy to take that. So that's uh, just piggybacking what you were saying. I think that the kids today ought to do something. There's a little survey online called the grit survey. And Leslie and I both did it. it. takes about 10 minutes. We're very gritty people. Mm-hmm. We just are stick to itedness. And it concerns me, even with the kids that we hire, if it's not immediately easy, they'll back off and try another path. And they never take down the obstacles that are part of any business. Well, I, I think that parents have done that. I mean, the helicopter yeah. parenting and you know, solving all the kids' problems for them when they're in grade school, middle school, high school, it does not breed resilience. And it certainly Correct. doesn't breed grit. But nobody was doing my homework for me and nobody was setting an alarm to wake me up for school. And, you know, I, I think it's probably multifactorial. I think the world is a very different place. The Internet is breaking everybody's brain. There's just an overload of information. Kids don't know how to wade through it. It's just it's information overload. I mean, we can have a whole podcast just on on what <laughs> yeah. that's doing to our poor little brains. But yeah, I mean, we are a different breed. We're from a different time. And, um, 
you know, we don't know any other way. Mm-mm. Well, so that leads me to, and I'm making air quotes for the people that can't see the green rush, uh, as I've heard it uh, said so many times, because you're in cannabis, that means you're a multi-gazillionaire and cannabis is uh, the way to make easy money. So uh, both of you and uh, whoever wants to go first, why cannabis? So what was the, the what was the moment you said, okay, this is where I want to sort of pursue uh, my focus, maybe Leslie, from a, a medical standpoint, being a sure, OB. you know, it's um, it's interesting how sometimes the world just intersects in the right way, and then you look back on it, and you're like, wow, like how did that actually happen? A very innocent conversation with one of my patients who I admire greatly um, came to me and said, "Hey, Leslie, you're from the West Coast. We know you're very open-minded. Would you consider being our medical director on our application for when Maryland goes recreational?" And I'm like, "Sure." And that conversation led to one of um, funding, and and I knew Gina with her venture capital background could access those kind of funds. And and I said, "Please don't bother Gina, though, if it's not a legitimate phone call. Like, don't make me bring my best friend in on something and then embarrass me because you guys aren't ready for her funding and her level of expertise." Unfortunately, the guy that happened to be in California, I don't think he even knew who we were. He didn't care. Um, and he just, he was, he basically mansplained to us in a way that was so ridiculous that I was humiliated. We, we ended the call. I apologize profusely to Gina and Gina wouldn't hear it. She's like, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. So she went home and and she looked up the RFP for the, um, you know, what was necessary for Maryland. She said, let's, let's just write it ourselves. And I thought she was actually smoking something at that point. Cause I'm like, what do we know about cannabis? I know nothing. I, I downloaded cannabis for dummies. Yeah. From the, from the Amazon. Amazon right? There's such a thing, right? There is such a thing. And I, look back on all of my years practicing medicine, giving people pills for sleep, pills for sex, pills for their mood, pills for their pain, pills for their infection. And I knew that there was a better way. And it turns out that that innocent conversation with that patient led me to practicing the most important medicine of my life. So it's just very interesting how sometimes life works out that way. But I'll let Gina talk about what the actual um, RFP was all about. Well, when the guy looked at us and I said, what's the return profile? And he said, oh, you would never understand the math. And I'm like, I have a double engineering degree. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I just want to get that. What you just said, that's a definition of mansplaining, correct? I just want to make sure that everybody understands. I just want to give an example. (laughs) I said, no, no, mansma jam. I, I think I can get this. No, no, he wouldn't explain it. And so we wrote the proposal and what I thought was going to be a 20 hour job ended up being a 120 hour job and we had 10 days to do it. It ended up being 600 pages. Most bidders had spent a quarter million dollars to bid. We spent $67 at Staples. Binders. For binders and Xeroxing. And green. And threw it over the wall. And a year later, I was sitting in a chair and people kept calling and congratulating us and we're like... Oh my God, God, we won. We won. And here's why they were congratulating us because we were so late to the game here that we didn't have time to form an LLC. So Gina's just bid it under her name. So when it came out in the paper, Gina's name was, (laughs) it was pretty funny. I mean, looking back on it, it's just hysterical. But you know, whenever anybody comes to us for advice for a business, for anything, 
And like when I started my own business, um, I, you have to ask what is going to make this different than any other business already out there? Like, why would anybody say yes to your particular business? So when Gina and I started Greenhouse, we thought about it. Like, what's going to make our dispensary different? Why would, why would the commission give us an award? And we really did craft an application that spoke to the fact that we wanted to celebrate education, that we were going to have an MD on board. And then guess what? Gina is a consummate businesswoman. So she constructed the most amazing um, application that spoke to running a successful business. Like what a concept in the cannabis space. So it was really a win-win when you look back on it. And honestly, to this day, I'm grateful that we did win. To go back to your original point, though, everyone thinks that there's a fortune in cannabis. The reality is there is not. At least until we get safe banking. The minute we got the award because it was in my name, my bank invited me to leave because I was associated with cannabis and they held my mortgage, my kids stuff. So I said to them, when you asked all the guys that have won licenses to leave, I'll leave too. And then I promptly pulled a half million dollars on my home equity line so that they couldn't kick me out. Which is hilarious. Um, But you know, 280E accounting means that you can't write off anything. You can't write off sales, marketing, space, labor. So a business that would make 10000 we will actually lose 10000 because we can't write off anything. And so I don't think people appreciate the fact that until this gets off schedule one and we have safe banking, cannabis is not the green rush that everybody thinks yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think safe banking can actually happen prior to rescheduling or ending prohibition. I I personally don't feel rescheduling is a solution. It's part of the solution, maybe for specific medicinal purposes, like if they want to do clinical trials, like uh, jazz pharmaceuticals with epidiolex, et cetera, you have single molecules and you want to do uh, drug discovery like they're used to. But for supplementation, there's already path. First of all, we had prohibition once with alcohol. We got rid of prohibition, and the states decided for themselves how they're going to do interstate commerce. There was already a precedent that's set. Uh, we just need to be able to do two things. Safe banking is important. We can do that without doing anything else. Just pass the, the bill. It's there. Uh, number two, from a research standpoint, the biggest question is being asked all the time is efficacy, Right. How efficacious is we understand patient reported outcome information because you deal with patients all the time. They're saying, I had this, I'm feeling much better. Well, the FDA said, we don't know anything about it. It doesn't mean anything to us. So allow us, the industry, uh, to conduct research, observational research, or even clinical research uh, with humans, and then we'll be able to prove it out. So I think there's there's two paths, but I, I definitely agree with you. Cannabis is not that type of business. It's it's extremely... I used to have five dispensaries uh, back in the day in California. So I know exactly, as a partner, so I know exactly what you're going... And this was in California under Prop 215 and 420. So we didn't even have the excise taxes. We didn't have all that stuff. We had... You know, we had to pay taxes. So we knew that for every $10, we take a dollar and we put it aside. And then we go with physical cash, bags of cash, say, here you go. And they take our money. And there was never a question of, 
are you legal? Are you? They didn't care at all. They're just saying, thank you for paying us. And uh, I think that the, the way that the industry is being regulated now is, uh, is definitely challenging uh, to make money. And I completely agree with you. So when you uh, launch your, your dispensary, one of the things that I read, you're, you're, well, let me just ask it this way. You saw a gap in the market that's uh, sort of uh, gearing towards women as well. Why women and what are the special challenges that women have versus, you know, uh, the general population? Well, first of all, to be female in today's world is a challenge. I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, Secondly, I am a women's health physician. I've been listening to women my entire career talk about what hurts and what ails them. And I also learned through the practice of OBGYN that women are the decision makers and the first point of contact to the healthcare system for their families. So if a woman has a good experience with a certain physician or practice or medicine, more likely than not, she's going to share that information with her family. And it's like she's going to facilitate that for her kids and for her her partner. And Gina and I learned a while ago that if something is attractive to us, if we like it, there's a really good chance that we're, everybody likes we're it. Probably a representative sample. Yeah, like we're we just I think are stepping into ourselves and just really believing that our voice is valid and other people echo our voice. So when we opened up our dispensary finally after all of the nonsense that you have to go through and we were getting a slow trickle of products coming in, we were absolutely horrified. I mean, here I am as a physician trying to treat this as medicine. And I've got products like Pootie Tang and AK-47. G-Spot. And G-Spot. And like, you know, oh my God. I, I got one for you. I got one for you. Uh, have you ever heard of the Alaskan Thunderfuck? Yeah. Yes. I mean, but I mean, come on guys. And, you know, as I was getting smarter and getting educated about cannabis and about the endocannabinoid system, and as I was just like, guys, this industry is so upside down. Like, it's not about the THC. Like, you guys are doing it wrong. Our receptors can't accept your... It's Ayurvedic medicine, right? So a low dose is medicine, but a high dose is toxic. It's poison. And, and like, trying to talk sense into this industry that is so recreationally focused, masquerading as a medical one, dealing with these ridiculous things that we are going to sell patients that are old. I mean, there was like our first patient was like 83 or something. And we had definitely older patients coming in. And I was humiliated and embarrassed to be, well, I think you should buy AK-47. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we decided that this was not okay and that we could do it better. And we had a plan of how to actually create medicine with the correct ratios of of terpenes and major and minor cannabinoids mm. that that reached all of the senses. It was going to smell good. It was going to taste good. It was going to feel good in your hands. It was going to be pretty. People were going to see it. It was going to be discreet. People were going to see it and say, hey, what's that? I want that. Where did you get that? Can I have some? And they didn't even know why they wanted it, but they knew they wanted it. And it wasn't going to put people on their asses. It was going to be a soft medical intervention. And the very first thing that we decided to tackle was sleep and anxiety. As you mentioned before, so astutely, 
anxiety is often the culprit of why people cannot sleep. And it seemed to be ubiquitous. It was in both sexes. And I remember early days with Gina saying, I really want to focus on women and her being the consummate business person saying, well, Leslie, you're discounting half of the population. And I said, and (laughs) I don't care. And so we launched a line of products called Blaceva, primarily for women. But what we find is about 40% of the buyers are men. Yeah. Because they're our first pen, the balance pen wasn't even. Yeah. One-to-one. One-to-one. But low potency, though. Low, low, low potency. And I remember with our producer, he kept saying, are you sure you want, I don't, I've never, like, how can I? And I'm like, figure it out, sweetheart. Figure it out. I know that you've never done it this way, but we have to do it the right way. We have to change people's minds and attitudes. And we're stubborn, the two of us. We're very stubborn. And I am especially stubborn when I, when I know it's the right thing for my patients medically. So Blaceva was designed to be the equivalent of a deep breath, a long exhale, a glass of wine. It wasn't designed to impair anybody, but rather just to lower the anxiety. So what the soccer moms, the people who just suffer all day with anxiety, Blaceva allows you to use that discreetly because it smells like vanilla and it tastes like vanilla during the day to take mm-hmm. the edge off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's really, and, and uh, Leslie, you hit the nail on the head that the narrow therapeutic window of, uh, you know, Delta nine, I mean, it's, it's pretty documented. It, if you look at the history of, of the plant and even taken the uh, land race cultivar, like Maui, Wowie. Right, so looking at this amazing plant that expressed in itself a whole bunch of mitocannabinoids like THCV that they're talking about as an appetite suppressant, and then taking that and breeding out most of those so you can breed in high THC, actually took away the therapeutic properties of this plant and created a way. Like, I'm not here to talk about me, but we we completed a study not that long ago on something called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Uh, we were not diagnosing. We don't know if it exists or not. All we were looking to do is there a genetic profile that has similarities on the cohort that are expressing these uh, side effects of uh, phytocannabinoids versus ones that aren't. And we published on that in PubMed and we did find that. But one of the things that we started seeing is, is there's a pattern of use of a lot of THC, high amounts of THC. And then there's a, uh, a vagus nerve stimulation, uh, cyclic vomiting syndrome, all these different things are connected, but there's a certain genotype. In addition to that, there's also drug interaction. So certain people that are on antidepressant medication, SSRIs, and they're consuming uh, their phytocannabinoids together with that, there's a side effect uh, of that too. But the idea is, if you're actually introducing a balanced product with the right terpene profile for those individuals, I mean, it makes total sense. And instead of drinking your glass of wine or your whiskey or whatever it is, you can do it during the day. And when you said men, well... You, both, I think both of you said it. We're finding the same thing that women make the buying decisions for their household anyway. And the one thing, going back to the recreational thing, the one thing that started happening in California is the biggest culprit of this in the whole U.S. Once you go rec, the market changes and the varieties of those products change. So people that need medicinal products or therapeutic products are going into a dispensary and they're saying, where can I find my one-to-one? What about my 21? 
Well, there's a little shelf in the back that has it there, and they're only isolated molecules. What about the terpenes? Ah, eh, you know, we don't really need those, but we have plenty of AK-47 and all this other stuff. Take this. And by the way, we have a whole display of dabs and concentrates. So, and I'm not taking anything against uh, that because there is a market for that. And if people want to use it for that, they're free to use whatever they want as long as they're adults, but it's not the same medicine as uh, as you guys were talking about. So completely yeah. agree. Our average patient age is 62. You can't bring a 62-year-old in and say, hey, this is 39% THC, go for it. Risk of fall, altered senses, they really need an ease it, into it. Again, it's it's pushing the boulder uphill every single day. And I am encouraged. I've been very morose about what a um, change to a, an adult use market would mean for the quality of of um, of product that we're going to be able to get. However, comma, I think that the the data is really clear. And I happen to be an editor of a um, of the American Journal of Endocannabinoid Medicine, so I'm privy to a lot of of, of studies and things before they're put into print. And it, there really does seem to be a growing awareness from the physicians and the practitioners that CBD is where it's at and that the minor cannabinoids warrant a ton of study. So I do think that the pressure that we're putting on our growers and our um, producers to, to create better medicine will be sustainable. I was a little cynical about that a few years ago, but I'm I'm feeling a lot more optimistic. Hopefully. And uh, Ken, Ken Watkins is a friend, so I'll be a contributor to that uh, oh, yay. journal as well. Uh, at some point, we're working on something together. So perhaps we'll be working on something uh, uh, together, jointly, oh, no pun intended. Yes. Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, looking at California, once again, is, and Colorado is the early markets. I don't see it moving in that direction. I see internationally. Uh, it's a, actually a question I was going to ask uh, both of you. If there is either a state or a country, is there anybody that's sort of, this is the beacon right here, and they're kind of doing it correctly. Maybe yeah, there's I, something that we can. No, I can't find no they're not. They're not. And it's it's interesting because I do speak for an international group of doctors called WeCan, um, and they're based out of Brazil. and. Um, Patricia is a um, neurosurgeon, which is the coolest thing in the world. And she's compiled an amazing group of physicians from all over the world. And when I give my lectures to them, it's translated into three languages. And what's unfortunate is that they're not allowed to vape or smoke in any capacity. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it, it it's unfortunate. There's, it, there's just such a blatant lack of knowledge by the people making the laws and they don't understand the science of it at all. And the fact that there are different molecules involved, depending on how you take it into your body. And it's important that we are able to celebrate all different ways of accessing those medicinal properties and qualities. Uh, we're also doing some work with the UK and hopefully in Asia as well. And most countries are looking to us um, for help and guidance. I don't see anybody being the beacon or the goal that I'm aiming for. Um, I think we all have the same prize in mind. We're all trying to get there, but we're all doing it within the confines and the restrictions of our own governmental agencies. Yeah, I agree. 
Brazil is interesting. We we do fairly well in Brazil. I'm actually speaking to over 200 doctors there on, on the 16th. Maybe it's some of the people, Doctor. I think it's myself and Doctor Bricks uh, who are speaking there. I don't know if you know, know that, but anyway, uh, I do see some markets that are starting to look like they're going to be a truly medicinal market, like maybe the work that Germany's doing, if they actually implement it correctly. Uh, the the reason why I like that approach, it's a doctor has to prescribe cannabis uh, and until they get recreational, which is on, you know, if that comes up, then it changes everything. But right now, and they have to have tried, which I'm not sure I agree with. They have to try another modality that did not work. And then they have a drop down. They It's, it's um, reimbursed by insurance automatically. So they go through, they press a button, it goes out to the insurance carrier, they pre-approve it. The only challenge is that they have limited product selections. And there are a lot of them are ratios of, uh, you know, one to one, 10 to one, whatever it is. Terpenes aren't being uh, discussed, which is, I think, a major uh, opportunity for them to, we all know that terpenes are sort of the secret sauce, right? Uh, that people don't really uh, take advantage of. But if it's a system that actually requires a prescription and an oversight of a medical professional, meaning that they not only get their, their cannabis in whatever format, but you're actually seeing them next month to see how efficacious that is. And you're actually able to modify their protocol based on feedback and other things. I mean, that's to me would be the next step forward in, in medicinal cannabis. I'm not yeah. sure how you uh, both feel about that. The interesting thing here in the United States is most doctors never studied cannabis. Uh-uh. And so they don't either agree with it, your brain on drugs, or understand it. And so we often host groups of doctors to come through and That's Dr. Akbar talks to them and educates them. But to have a doctor here even certified to purchase is a rare thing. Yeah. So it's obviously, you know, you can't prescribe cannabis in the United right. States. It's illegal. And it's like, in what world do I tell you, hey, Len, you should go to CVS and uh, pick up something nice for yourself. And can you imagine walking <laughs> to CVS and going up to the pharmacist and say, yeah, I need a little something, something. Can you hook me up? That's essentially what you're having somebody do when they enter into a dispensary, which is why our model was so different that we said, okay, this is insane. We're going to actually have to be the practitioners and the physicians here to help people understand their symptoms, understand their treatment options, and then give them a dose that makes sense, that is safe, that is reproducible and predictable, and then be able to see them back for you know next month when they come back to see how did it go and, and where do we go from here. So we, we really had to see the world as it is and throw our hands up in the air and say, this is insanity. And then decide how can we negotiate this insanity and do the right thing for the patient. And that's how we came up with this model. That's why we're doing things a little differently. I I love that approach. I think that's that's the right approach. And that's the difference between uh, the whole recreational and medicinal slash therapeutic. But that's the way it should be. I was wondering why a vaporizer, why, why vape as your delivery uh, so number one, our patients are old and um, I'm not going to say stupid because that would be wrong. I'm going to say challenged. I'm going to say that they couldn't necessarily follow directions about um, 
uh, finding, uh, well, first of all, they didn't want to deal with the flour. They didn't want to have to be grinding or whatever. Right. They didn't want to have to buy an expensive vaporizer to vape they didn't the want flour. To push five <laughs> they certainly buttons. can't find the button on the stupid thing or push it five times and see if it lights up. They're not going to be able to recharge the thing. So, I mean, our, our average patient was uh, what I will affectionately refer to as a virgin that they had either never smoked or touched cannabis in their entire life, or they had done it maybe once in college and had never done it since. And they were very um, tentative. So the disposable vape pen was idiot-proof, idiot-resistant, <laughs> idiot-resistant. You do have to actually take the silicone stopper out before We've you put it up to your mouth. say it doesn't work because the stopper's in it. Yeah, but... I mean, like, come on, right? Um, but truly... What I wanted was I wanted instantaneous gratification for the patient. I wanted somebody to be able to medicate and then feel better right now and also be able to fall asleep right now. So it was specifically and intentionally designed that way. We have a whole list of what we're going to be rolling out as far as edibles. And now that we have micronized um, transport systems across lipid membranes that we can actually get rapid onset oral dosing. And that's really, I think, going to be next level. Now, will I ever get the bioavailability that I get when vaping? No, I will never, ever get that level of bioavailability. And you do have to kind of understand the way that science works and then deal with the patient who's in front of you. So um, some of my patients just wouldn't vape at all. And I didn't have that as an option for them. And so we started off with a lot of tinctures. And tinctures are great in some ways, but they're also awful in some ways because you have to sort of stand in front of the mirror and then count the drops that you're getting. And then patients don't like the way that they taste. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys are so annoying. Like you can't have it all. Like, can you suck it up to any, uh, in any amount to get the effect How about, that you want? So, well, when did, when did medicine ever taste good? I don't remember I, I saying Robitussin. Oh my God, it's yeah. delicious. I mean, I mean, right? Like it does, it does actually um, give me pause, but you know, like I said, we deal with the patient who's sitting in front of us and we chuckle and we do the best we can, but it was a rip roaring success. I mean, we never expected it to take off the way it did. And we never expected the tears and the drama of the patients who came back saying, thank you. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. We had a guy, a heavy, heavy user from Colorado who came in and said, just so you guys know, this is the only thing that has ever worked for my anxiety. And I'm like, that's because you've been overdosing on THC your whole life. Yeah. But, you know, I can't say that out loud, but it was very nice to to get all that positive feedback for sure. We're, we're grateful for it. Uh, do you find that using uh, vapes, disposal of vapes, the, the battery themselves, if you can't control the heat, uh, it, it burns off uh, some of the terpenes or some of the miners or converts them at a certain temperature? We we spent a lot of time with R&D finding a really good quality pen with a really good um, voltage that we know is reproducible and, and um, uh, predictable. And we have not had that problem. What Gina and I were most worried about was the batteries not lasting because in right. the past, the batteries would, you know, they're on the shelf in China for however long, then they come to the um, United States, they sit on a shelf and then they come to us and they sit on a shelf. And so we were really worried about batteries not lasting, but weirdly enough, didn't have any problem. It was really such a rare event that a battery didn't last, but they don't leak and there's none of that nonsense. So certainly we know that that has been a problem in the industry, but 
we were very persnickety in picking just the right batteries and the right hardware. We also felt that for anxiety, you almost need immediate relief or else you get more anxious. Yeah. And so I, we didn't want anybody taking edibles because what inevitably happens is you take one, you don't feel anything immediately. So you take another and another, and then you are in trouble and in the emergency room. So we just didn't want to go down that mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense. Instantaneous gratification is, uh, yeah, we, I, I'm a fan of uh, tinctures or sublingual delivery, even, even a spray uh, that yeah. happens. Some people don't like to inhale anything, but yeah, I agree with you. I've seen way too many people do, and I'm going to try to describe it for the audience not viewing uh, this online, but taking a, a, a pipette, a tincture, uh, and putting it under their tongue and then holding it for like five seconds and swallowing. And I was like, well, then you just defeat the purpose of a sublingual delivery because you just swallowed it. Well, yeah. I did hold it on my under my tongue, so, but you <laughs> no, you you actually for did three not. minutes. We always recommend <laughs> that they hold it there for three minutes, and it's it's hard. So that's why some of these newer hard. products that are coming out are really exciting. That you can put a little like almost like a listerine patch right on your inside right. of your cheek, and it just no, goes like three seconds. It's yeah, gone. like buccal <laughs> delivery and sublingual. Okay. I think that makes yeah. always sense. I, Leslie, I think I read somewhere that you, uh, or, or I don't know if this is a focus of. Uh, of uh, greenhouse as well. Anti-aging, is that an area of focus? So I love that you asked that. So I actually also own a medical spa called Pura Vida. And I opened that up in 2008. And that was because my patients, my OBGYN patients were asking me for services. Like, you know, while you're down there, doc, can't you do something about my hair? Why do I have brown spots? Or why do I have this, that, or the other thing? But it's very funny how all of my lives intersect because now we carry CBD products here at Pura Vida. And it turns out that topical CBD is a wonderful remedy for acne and for rosacea and inflammatory conditions. And it's an excellent opportunity for me to talk to patients about why their skin is reacting in a certain way. And I turn it back to the gut. And I'm like, well, inflammation all starts in the gut. Let's talk about your diet. Let's talk about your stress. Maybe you need to join the medical program and get on cannabis because even just little itty bitty doses every single day, we can chip away at that inflammation and get you feeling better. And it may actually improve a lot of areas in your body, not just your skin. Like Gina um, suffered from terrible, um, would you have ulcers? Ulcers. Yeah, she had ulcers. And when you have ulcers, when you eat, it makes the pain go away. So who's not going to want to eat a bite of something to make the pain go away? But when we finally got good quality edibles, she would take an edible at night to help her sleep. And guess who's no longer on that little purple pill? And guess who no longer has ulcers? Like it's amazing how it all intersects. Right. And it's in and everywhere I show up in the world, it's an opportunity for me to kind of educate. But the crossover is hilarious because people will come to Pure Vita and ask me about cannabis, and people will come to Greenhouse and ask me about their skin. So it is, it's very, it's very funny. My life is never dull. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that once you're doing something that you're passionate about, like these things just open up to you and they come to you. And, I, and there is a correlation between all those things. Everything is so interconnected. Even, and we're, we're a DNA company, we do genetic testing. There are people that have these predispositions that if they are under duress and stress and they have predispositions to like, IBD, for instance, well, that can trigger that. So they're having gut health issues and all kinds of uh, things, but it, 
it really has to do with uh, cortisol levels. And you can see that there's a gene called FA, fatty acid aminohydrolase, and that breaks down anandamide. So going back, that is a huge gene in the endocannabinoid system. And if you are what's called homozygous in that, in that allele, you're probably producing less anandamide than the average person. So because that you're breaking could, it down so fast. It's like exactly. the people who are um, sensitive sallies versus those who are not sensitive sallies. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then the whole metabolic pathway in the liver and the cytokines. It's fascinating. And as more data comes out, we're going to find that more and more people have mutations and they don't metabolize orally consumed cannabis in the same way that you might expect. And they're not going to get the same medicinal benefits from taking things orally. It's crazy. The data that I've seen coming in on that. We've seen thousands of people. So I'll tell you, there's three specific SNPs, CYP2C9, CYP2C19, and the biggest one is 3A4, CYP3A4. So people that are eating, uh, consuming cannabis as edibles, especially on two, uh, 2C9 uh, and converting to 11-oxyhydroxide, they're poor metabolizers. And it, what, what Gina just said, it's not working for them. They'll take a little bit more. They'll take a little bit more. Well, guess what? It's not, it's, it's slow because they're slow metabolizers. And all of a sudden they're going to get hit and they have a, uh, if they have a genetic predisposition to psychosis, now they end up in the hospital with a disassociative experience and are saying, stay away from Dove's lettuce. It's the worst. Well, as uh, Leslie was saying, you just did too much. Everything is a personal experience. You did more than what you yeah. should. And this is Start. this is why knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. When we know more, when we, when we know better, we do better. So it's just a, another reason why we need to educate ourselves and others. And we so appreciate you growing your podcast and showing your listeners and educating because yeah. it just is a benefit for all of us. We're yeah. so grateful. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm grateful for you ladies uh, joining what you're doing because- we're totally aligned in the same mission. And, and as laws change and all these states uh, you know, come on board, we need to make sure that we still keep. The reason why this is being used, it's all started with medicinal. Everything started with medical for AIDS, cancer, et cetera. So let's make sure that we don't forget that. It's not about you know, how many dab hits you can take, which, okay. which is fine which is fine too. Um, what are some of the biggest obstacles uh, that you face in, in your business? Banking. Banking is probably the single largest from a business perspective. Um, we're fortunate here in Maryland. We do have a bank. One bank. One bank that will take cash and kind of broker it between um, entities. But I think the banking is one of our biggest issues. Mm -hmm. Real estate is unpleasant too. We're thinking about whether or not we want to move to a different location to um, allow more people in for for the adult user market. And we don't know how Maryland is going to roll things out yet. We can only guess at how other states have handled it. But we would assume that there is one entry point and then perhaps you turn left for adult use, you turn right for medical. We anticipate that there will be certain products that will only be allowed to be sold to the medical market. We assume that there's going to be a tax structure that is onerous for the adult use. There is no tax right now and medical. medical. And I don't think they are planning on taxing medical in Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're assuming that we're going to need a bigger space. We're assuming we're going to need to move and Dealing with real estate is is incredibly challenging. Nobody uh, wants us. Nobody wants us. It's weird <laughs> being pariahs in society. I will tell you, it's weird how nobody wants to to 
call you back or whatever. It's but you know, we're we're everybody's party favorite at a at a party. Everybody wants to sit next to the drug dealer and learn about their life. And they always want to ask, Oh, how do I get in on this? How do I get on this? Exactly. I'm, like, I'm like, oh sweetheart, that train was long time ago. That was a long time ago to get to get a license. It's hysterical, but it, it's you're facing the same challenges as we faced in in California. Uh, a long time ago, real estate. Uh, obviously, banking is still a challenge. Uh, I, I'm i not even, quote unquote, in the cannabis business, really. I, I mean, I have a company that looks at your endocannabinoid system, but we don't touch the plant. We have nothing to, to do with it. So I was getting, I was, I have two banks. I was writing myself. I was actually, with, because we need to make some payments uh, quickly. I need to make some payments quickly. So instead of writing myself a check and waiting for it to, uh, you know, clear for three, five days, I went to my bank that starts with a C, it's a big bank, and withdrew cash and deposited it into my personal bank. So I did that twice, two months, and I got a letter that they are uh, suspending my account. And I said, Why? And nobody told me. And the reason why I believe is because I am depositing cash into my account and I am indirectly associated with the cannabis business. So their back office flagged me and, uh, you know, and I was with that bank for 13 years, by the way. And they told We've me- We've had they, QuickBooks they, taken down. Oh, our, yeah. it's, our credit cards have been yeah, canceled. PayPal, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Never yeah. done yeah, but they're gonna—they're missing the boat. The, the real estate uh, brokers who are listening to this uh, should definitely uh, call because it's the best, most stable business if you're doing it right and you're following regulations. It's the, you don't have to worry about it. It's the most regulated business out there. So you know exactly. why? Why there's really limited risk. Okay, so uh, I ask all my guests uh, these several questions at the end. Um, so I'm going to have to uh, figure out who to ask first. Uh, uh, let's go, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go, Gina. Uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. My first experience with cannabis, I was 58 years old and we had won the license. I had always had a security clearance my entire life. I had never touched cannabis. And so it it was a very slow introduction for me. Mm-hmm. And mine would... Uh, hold on, Leslie, uh, just to follow up on Gina. And how was that experience? Was it uh, pleasant? Was it... No, I took <laughs> one draw of a cigarette, which I had never smoked a, a cigarette. Joint. Of a joint. I sure. never smoked She doesn't even know the lingo. And I coughed for two hours and never did again. Yeah, she's <laughs> hilarious. Like, I mean, she's she is my um, typical patient, right? Like, right. You pay, who doesn't actually know how to do this, yes. right? Yes. Um, no, it's entertaining. Right. Um, so, so, Gina, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send you a code to take one of our endo-DNA tests uh, if you're open to that. And yeah. I'll go. I'll go over the results with you personally, and Leslie, you can, you can as well if if you want. I'd love to get your feedback, but we're going to oh, find yeah. you something that's personalized to you that really is going to work for you. Hilarious! Avoid those love it. I love it when we know more. Like I said, when we know more, we do. I'm your AARP yeah, person. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I was in high school when I had a joint, and I liked it. Um, it it made me giggle. It made me hungry. I have memories from college with me and my roommates and a bag of Doritos 
which my husband affectionately calls calls stoner chips. But um, yeah, I I have um, a lot of really positive memories about just laughing with my friends and being happy. Great. Uh, so I'm a big music uh, person. I'm sure you can see uh, behind me. Uh, Leslie, what was the f- very first concert you ever attended? If you remember, um, it was Jefferson Starship. Okay. If you can believe it. I was Dan Fogelberg. Okay. Yeah. Very there you cool. go. Uh, what about the last concert? Um, Kenny Chesney for me. Uh, we go to music festivals all the time. So that's a hard question. Um, we see you two every time they're in town. Um, I think it must have been Jazz Fest was my last um, experience with music. COVID has COVID, killed COVID us. was yeah. tough. One of my best friends is Deanna Bogart. And so um, she's a, she doesn't like to be pigeonholed, but um, I would say she's jazz-ish, but I'm not allowed to say that because she doesn't like to be pigeonholed. But um, we get, we get concerts by her all the time. Um, She actually played at my wedding and she's played at our holiday parties in the past. So we're incredibly lucky. We love music. I actually just took care of a famous singer today who um, is in the area-ish and, um, you know, so we're we're surrounded by my music and we love it. Excellent. Yeah. You you kind of just answered my next question about is there anybody that you're listening to or anything that, that you may want to recommend to our, our audience? Uh any, I just else? I like my I, morning jacket. They're kind of out there. They're um I think they're cool. Um yeah. we just went and saw a girl named Tom at a really small venue and loved mm-hmm. if you like a cappella voices. Um, and harmony. They're mm-hmm. fabulous. Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah. Three I, people. This is the one thing where Gina and I do not see eye to eye. And I was, <laughs> I do not, I do not actually enjoy, neither does my husband, country nor Western music at all. I like them both. Yeah. Um, no, I do not like either of those. That's the only thing that we absolutely vehemently disagree on. But any other realm of music, I'm all in. And obviously, I'm a child of my Seattle roots. I mean, I listen to, Pearl Jam at the off-ramp in Seattle. I mean, I grew up with Allison Chains and um, all of that. You know, that was part of my youth. So um, I'm going to see Jerry Cantrell coming up. Are you? In a, yeah. Good for you. Amazing. I'm, I I love that. That's that's my kind of music too. But I, I listen to everything. But yeah, definitely that Seattle sounds, uh, is, uh, you know, that's the, that's a time that I was going to, I think I was going to high school like uh junior senior year in college man that was some of the best music ever. yeah and i got to see yeah. i got to see chris cornell at the disney hall like oh, several that. weeks before uh he passed and then uh also scott wyland i know that's not seattle but still sort of in a yeah in yeah, a, yeah. A genre. i would i, I would saw, put him in that mm-hmm. i saw him at the troubadour literally two weeks before he uh, pass so all these guys wow. mark mark lanigan just recently passed from uh, uh screen trees so anyway and i i do sort of agree with you on the country western thing i had a guest that's a a country western sort of uh how do i say this he's a big uh he collects a lot of country western music and he did a whole show trying to introduce me to uh country music and there was some stuff that was uh, pretty decent but Still not there. I'm getting there. 
Still not yeah. there. I try and be open-minded every once in a while. I hear a good song and I like it. And then my radio, or I'm in the car with you. And then my radio, like, oh, she likes country. Let me play more by this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> turn it off. Yeah, yeah, it's like Chris Stapleton, same thing. I'll listen to that. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. But then you hear the whole album. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's all right. It's it's in the, in the cusp. <laughs> a little more rock, rock blues I, I, can, I can deal with. Um, so both of you, whoever wants to go first, what has cannabis meant? in your life? For me, as an engineer, it's the first time I've really seen people physically get better. I've never dealt with people. So it's it's so rewarding to see people just be better. And I'll dovetail on that. This is what I said before, the most impactful and the most important medicine I've ever practiced. And it has been incredibly humbling to share that experience with our wellness consultants and allowed them to be almost like mini physicians themselves on the front lines, helping people get better, live better, more, um, more quality of life for them. Like their, their quality of life is so improved, but to, to see the reactions of the wellness consultants as they get that feedback and to see them crying tears of joy with their patients. I don't know how to put that into words. It's incredibly impactful. So I think that for the first time in my life, I am actually practicing holistic medicine, and it feels really good. I'm I'm so grateful for you not only to say that and and do that and and express that to our audience because that is the mission that you know I've been on for the last twenty some years, and uh, uh, people used to. Uh, you can read it in my book, which I'll, I'll send to both of you. But my parents kicked me out of the house call the cops for me to have me arrested for cannabis because it was my medicine that was taken for uh, my condition. Now, not only them, but their friends and all the people that used to call me a druggie, they're coming back and asking, hey, can you help us with X and Y? So, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful you say that. Um, okay, last question. Uh, let's uh, start with Leslie. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. My room was full of stuffed animals, hence my decision to go to vet school. Um, I had ribbons all over the wall from the horse shows that I had competed in. I had magazine cutouts of the latest fashion or boys that I thought were cute. I had floors or uh, clothes strewn all over the floor, completely chaotic. And my MO was before I sat down to study, I had to clean my room because I think I had such ADD that I couldn't concentrate with the mess. And also I'm really great at procrastination. So it was kind of like a two for one. I got a clean room at the end of it. And then I got to procrastinate my studying. I was the opposite. Mine was fairly modest, had nothing on the walls, was absolutely everything was put away and tidy. And then there was a stack of books. Because I like to read. No posters, no art, no, no, no. Oh, I had Michael Jackson, um, Thriller yeah. on my, or whatever his album was before Thriller. I can't remember. I had off him wall. off the wall. And I had, um, funny enough, I had OJ. Yes, I did. The juice on my closet door. Now, and was it the OJ poster when he was with the Bills? Or was it the OJ poster when he had the glove commercials are just jumping over things. Yeah, it was not that. It was way before <laughs> that. Yeah, it was way before that. And um, I think it was my ADD also, Gina reminded me, I would go to the library and I would get like 
10 or 12 books at a time and I would start reading one, get bored, put it down, open up another one, read a little bit, get bored, open up another one. And for whatever reason, my brain worked back then, I could go back and pick it up and remember where I was and keep going. Now I'm about 90% done with a book. And I'm like, I think I've read this before. <laughs> it's so funny, Leslie, you, you are, it's exactly me. The reason why I was taking cannabis is for ADD. I was diagnosed when I was like 14 and put on yeah. prescription meds. But what you just described was my reading. I yeah. can never read one book. It has right. to be multiple books. Yeah. And right now, Audible has been a life-changing thing for me because it's listening slow, to- it's slow. You have to put it on like 1.5 or two because it takes forever to read a book. Like I can read a book like this and audible is slow, but it is great in the car. Yeah, great in the car. Exactly. In the car when I'm hiking, I'm just listening yeah. and uh, absorbing a lot of content. Good so, for you. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you guys, your businesses, uh, and maybe some of that success will rub off on, uh, on other people as well. We also have a book called High Heels, and it's H-E-A-L-S, and you can find that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. We have our dispensary, which is Greenhouse Wellness, samewebsite.com, and then Blasiva.com. You can find out about our line of women's products. Well, thank you again so much for joining, and I really appreciate everything that you guys do. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.